0: I, I got infatuated that it says that you've got to grab a hold of the arm at the end of it, not the middle. It's like, okay, I'm going down through life and I'll let go and I'll just grab it again, right where I left off in this that way. As you're trying to work through th- things that bother you about the church or about somebody else or somebody said something, whatever it is, if you hang on to that, I think you can get through it if you don't. You know, all, all the rest of the ice cream.
1: Thank you for finding this episode of The Cultural Hall. Excited to be able to share it with you. Uh, As always, remember that you can reach out to us, contact at theculturalhall.com. That is how we know about great guests that we likely wouldn't know about without you. Uh, Email is always open, contact at theculturalhall.com. Also, let me ask you this. Will you take a moment and uh, think of one of the over 600 episodes that we've done here at The Cultural Hall and share that on your social media? And Before you listen to another episode, take a moment and just say, you know what, I've listened to a lot of episodes and this is my very favorite, or I disagreed with this one so very much, you wouldn't believe it, or or however you like to share different content on social media, will you take a second and share an episode of The Cultural Hall? It would mean a lot. We're really trying to uh, find our way into the ears of more and more people, and your sharing is part of that. I know that you likely have some sort of social media, and I know that, well, because you're listening to at least this portion of this episode, that you've listened to some of the cultural hall, so I, I don't know what would stand in the way of you doing it. So I'm going to take it as a personal offense if you don't share some sort of episode on the cultural hall. Now I've guilted you. Now you'll never do it. Will you do it anyway? I didn't do that the way that I wanted to. Take a moment share an episode of the cultural hall, and then listen to this episode of the the Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and excited to be able to introduce everyone, uh, not only to the musical group, Cedar Breaks, but also to my newfound friend, Mike Erickson. Thank you for being here, Mike.
0: It's good to be here, and congratulations. I hear you've got 600 almost episodes under your belt.
1: Well, I mean, it's it has been a long time, when you think of over a decade uh, doing episodes on the weekly. That's, that's a lot of time. Uh, anyone who's been here for any amount of time uh, we'll let you know that uh, yeah, there it. We we get random. We go all over the place from famous people that we you know sneak in here to the cultural hall to just random tangential stories that I'm interested in for one reason or another to great musicians like yourself to poets and and everything in between. So I appreciate you being willing to take the time, and I appreciate the congratulations as well, Mike.
0: Yeah, I think you'll find me more random than you think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well I, I would be curious to know a little bit about you and and I don't know why I thought this and I mean this in the uh, in, in in the I almost said in the nicest way possible but that sets up what I'm about to say in not a great way but you are uh, you are different than I anticipated you looking. You have a little bit more dust on the shelves than <laughs> than, uh, than someone that I know who would be pursuing you know music and sharing music right that seems sort of like a younger gentleman game
0: yeah actually uh, most of the band are quite young my banjo player and i um banjo player in the band is my age i've known him since junior high keith and uh the rest of them are young they're very young in fact i met uh I met rebecca i think she when she was 19 that we started and diana isn't much older and then michael gibbons are um both our producer and and the uh, and, well actually we we have a classical guitarist which is me mm-hmm. we have a banjo player we have a pop singer we have a classical singer we have a rock guitarist pitch perfect uh, with michael and, and our producer so uh, uh we have young and old together so you're right you know maybe maybe i shouldn't shouldn't be pursuing all this but uh i in my life i've um i see doors open and, and i reluctantly walk in through the door, you know, if I want to. And it was the same way with your podcast. I reluctantly I tried to get you to talk to one of the younger part <laughs> members of the group and somehow I'm, I'm sitting here so Well,
1: so I think it's kind of a fascinating uh, thing that we do within life where we feel like and, and you seem to reject this idea that we feel within life that there's like there was the window to do the thing, right? Like there was a window to learn a language. There was a window where I could have traveled abroad and, and done the, you know, the, the fantastical thing that I could have thought to do. A- and, and then we sort of settled into midlife and we go, yeah, well, I guess this is sort of what life is going to hand me or whatever. And it seems like you've said, no, what? I'm doing this now. I want to do uh, this, this music thing now and I'm going to rally people that are younger than me and same age as me and be able to, to come up with this music group. Why do you think that that is that you're able to do what so many people are not able to do?
0: Well, maybe I should tell you how it all started. Um, it's quite a story and it's probably much different than you think it's going to be. I I think I'd like to tell you, first of all, I had a, had a dream uh, about my grandmother and, uh, I don't know if you've ever had one of those dreams that, um, you know, you're dreaming and you know, you shouldn't be there and she shouldn't be there. She you know, obviously she passed away. And I, um, looked at that window. I looked at that room and, and, uh, I moved forward. I thought, well, I'll just go with this. And I walked into the room where she was sitting and she was very, very bright and I could see every detail of her face. And, um, and I, it took me back And that dream actually took me back to when I was a a small child, my grandfather died, and um, I, I have uh, three brothers and a sister, so it's five little kids. And I was oh, probably about ten years old, and I didn't. None of us understood death, and we were very scared. And we'd gone through the, the events of the day, the funeral, events of the day, and uh, we, we came home. And that night, my mom came, came and tucked us into bed. We had. We had a big bed in the basement we all slept in but it was hot upstairs we didn't have an air conditioner and, uh, and we were all scared and we were in our bed and she tucked us in and she kissed us good night started walking away and my old brother said um, mom what would you do if you saw grandpa it got really really quiet in the room and she came back and i expected her to say i think i would expect her to say well he's in heaven or give us a lesson about the gospel or eternal life or something like that. But she just bent over my little brother and almost whispered, I give him a big hug Hmm. and uh, she kissed him and walked away. And that, that became a metaphor for my travels in this journey I'm on right now that. And it actually started in 1997 between conference um, general conference in the spring Hmm. There was um, a program where President Hinckley dedicated a monument up in Rock, at Rock Creek Hollow, Wyoming, and we do not. We knew nothing. I, I knew nothing about my heritage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. Even though my grandma, the one I was in the room with, and by the way, when I when I walked up to her, I tried to give her a hug. And I woke up, but that embracing of my heritage stuck stuck in my mind since then. And so my brother was watching a conference, they were dedicating that and, and they showed the, a list of the names that were buried at Rock Creek College, 13. He was actually 15, but 13. And he, turned, he jumped up and turned around to his wife and he said, I'm related to all of those guys. He said, "It just jumped out to him like it was in three dimensional out of the TV. And she says, well, how do you know that? He says, I don't know how I know that, I just know that I am. And so he went on a journey to find out that was true. And it was, we were descendants of a pioneer named Olly Madsen who died there that night, uh, trying to get his family to Zion. And um, so it it just embroiled our family. We just, we couldn't get enough of it. We were all searching it every day we came to work or saw each other. We 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 went up to each other on what we found out. It became really really a a cool thing. My brother, speaking of music, my brother was a rocker in the '60s. He made records. He was in a group called The Grim. By the way, they're back out there now. Yeah. Speaking of good life crisis. I call it his end life crisis. Where he's produced now. He's done his fourth album, and you know, they just played at the Capitol Theater a couple months ago, and. Ray Archuleta and stuff. So he's 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 jumping right back into the fire, and I I, I don't know why, but I know that he's really, he's really really talented. And he he quit music and uh, became an attorney, of all things. So I've always looked looked up to him. But he was riding at the same time near 1997. He's driving down from Wyoming um, to come home. I think he was well. He was west of of South Pass there of Rock Creek. And he had a song come into his mind and start playing in his mind. I don't know if you've ever been up in Wyoming, but if you see the moon come up, you don't know what the heck it is. You know, it's you think it's the second coming almost. Yeah, it looks really, really spectacular and really bright and really big. And uh, and so he wrote this in his mind as he was going. And he told me he even tried to turn the radio down. He thought it might be on the radio It was that powerful and he wrote, drove home and he quickly woke up his wife about two o'clock in the morning. She he says, You've got to hear this before I forget it. And and uh, she told him to draw up dead. And so he, <laughs> he said, tired, but She so said, Do you know do you have any idea what time it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sing
1: it for me in the morning.
0: Yeah, so he went in the other room and he he wrote the song and he called me the next morning and uh, he told me he'd written the song. I said, You're writing music again? I mean, it'd be like thirty years, you know. And he said, yeah, you need to hear it. And I went over and I said, this is really good. What are you going to do with it? And he goes, um, he said, I'm going to bring my band back together. We're going to go to the, it was Woods Cross High, right out here in Balfour. And he said, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do a, a an assembly on uh, anti, because he was in the anti-gang, anti-drug coalition with the parents. And I mean, this all this all collated in his mind within about a week. And um, so he put it together. and I'm trying to make this a short story. It's a very long story, if you ever want to hear it. No, you're
1: fine. I'm enjoying it. It's fun to hear sort of the genesis of this whole thing.
0: So he uh, got his band together. They uh, practiced for a couple of days a week, and then they had the assembly. And the news stations were out there. uh, In case it was a slow news day, they'd have a little story about this this, uh, old band that is back together playing at Woods Cross High. And... He played some old Beatles songs, some of his old songs from the '60s. You know, he he actually was on the charts in the '60s, man. And uh, he stopped the music, and everybody left the stage, and he came out uh, with a microphone and with a drop uh, behind him. There was a picture of. They had actually had a light show. <laughs> I don't know how they figured out how to do that that fast, but there was a drop in the like in the water where it resonates out from the splash and. Um, he talked to them about making choices, about how people were in the 60s and, 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 and how they stood up and, and about this song he was going to play. And then he brought his band out and a single singer started singing this song. It's called Light Up the Land. Uh, we recorded it as, uh, in Cedar Breaks as Light and uh, kind of brought that song back now. And actually, so is his. So is he. He's um, just at a promotion where he's r- raising money for it. We helped him, and we um, it was during COVID and we raised money for uh, the homeless and the first responders and stuff like that. I'm not saying that bragging me, but I, I'm really proud of him for, for putting that together. Anyways, I tend to go down by Chelsea. Oh, you're
1: fine? fine. Listen, I will follow you right down a rabbit hole. Let me me actually, though, let us press pause real quick. Let us take a break, and I want to sample a little bit of light, the light up the land, the song that you're talking about, so that people have an idea of what you guys sound like. So we'll do that. We'll go into a a break real quick, and we'll come back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall. (laughs) bestdjinutah.com. That is the website if you would like to hire me to come and to be at your event. Now, uh, I've done weddings and uh, family reunions, and I've had the opportunity to gather with folks just uh, for a party. I have yet to do a funeral, uh, and so I I don't want to say it with such exuberance, but I'm willing to play the music at a funeral, and I know that some people have really started to turn uh, the passing of someone into a party. Not that we're celebrating that they're gone. No, that's not what I'm saying. Take that back. Come on, Richie. I'm just saying... The opportunity to be able to gather and celebrate the life of an individual. This suddenly got really dark and I didn't mean it to. The point is, if uh, you have an event, an activity that you need music to be played for, why not considering consider rather hiring me? Uh, you go to bestdjinutah.com. Hey friends, Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. As you know, there's been a huge video card shortage for computers. We have tons of NVIDIA and AMD video cards right now available with complete systems. Check us out right now at PCLaptops.com.
2: To those who are weary, I'll be your best friend. To those who are hungry, I'll bring you bread. When you are tempted and being pulled down, I'll reach out to you from the ground, and when my voice is someday still, there will be others to climb the hill. As their voices start to swell, together they'll stand and sing you this day. One
1: So, uh, that's uh, light, uh, light up the land, uh, love being able to sample a little bit of that so that people can really get a, a feel for what you guys sound like and, uh, and, and be able to hear it. Give me an idea. Um, you've sort of given us the, the story ar- around it. Is it a literal, as you listen to the, the light, is it the literal, I don't know what depiction of the, of the moon coming up in Wyoming, or is there a greater meaning to the, to everything?
0: Well, let me tell you the rest of the story. Yeah, there's a really great meeting, and it's and it's gone a long ways. Uh, even though I think most people in Utah and in the LDS community haven't heard this song, which is I I find incredible. But anyway, so he back to the stage. So he takes the stage. They start singing it, and they culminate with the uh, with the choir coming up and ending it with them, And the kids went nuts in the in the auditorium there. And so they played it, it was a, a really good news story for that day. But someone said a little while later, this should be the Olympic theme song.
1: Mm. And so
0: it actually became that on one of the albums of the Olympics It was sung at the closing ceremonies at State Capitol uh, for the dignitaries. And, and the reason it, I'm bringing this story up because this is what started me on this too. Um, so uh, if you if you go back and get an Olympic album, if you want, I'll send you one because we still have a few. <laughs> but it was called "Light Up the Land" and 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 um, and used at the Olympics. But I, at the same time that Casey, my brother, saw the people at Rock Kirk that died, at the same time my brother wrote the song. We were going on a track, and uh, I was in charge of the music with a kind of a music partner. Uh, Emily Christensen and I made music uh, for the track. We wrote some songs that we were going to do for the award up there, and we thought that was really fun to do. And um, I, don't, I hadn't played out very much in my life. You know, I was a class, I was a home classic guitarist, and I liked that a lot. I liked the solidarity of it. I liked, I liked how it relaxed me. I liked the whole world of it. I had private music that no one's heard before because I could play music from 200 years ago, mm-hmm. and it was only mine. You know, so I. I I kinda of like that. So I called a friend of mine who grew up in Centerville, I went to school with. And I says, I'm coming to um, I'm coming to Wyoming and I'm gonna stop by NC. And, and he said, Well you coming. I said, We're doing this trek thing. And he goes, You gotta call this guy that's up there and knows everything. He came and spoke to us. It was the greatest talk I've ever heard in my life and gave me his name and it was at the time President Warmore, Scott Warmore. And uh, I called him on the phone and I said, um, the lawnmower, It's Mike Erickson with Farmington 13th Florida. We're coming up there and I want you to come to speak to us. he told me no.
2: <laughs> so we,
0: he, says I get asked, he says, I get asked every single night, every single day. And he said, We gotta make sure there's a people to take care of it. I said, Cool. I says, but I'm really excited because my one of my ancestors is in the Lily Company. He goes, what was it? And he said, I said, uh, I said, Ole Madsen. He said, I'll be there. Hmm. And it just took me back. I said, You'd be there. And he says, I wouldn't miss it. He said, You need to know who you are and I need to tell you. And so I'm thinking, this is a poor dirt farmer from Denmark who got caught in a storm, and here's this guy talking about him like he's a hero. You know, and he meant so much to him. So it just it was it's a really emotional moment for me. It was really a special moment for me. So we went up there and he came and talked to us. He told me, he said, we had a really special experience with only the temple and he took me aside and talked about it to me. And um, it, it was really, really special. It could, up in the Wyoming sagebrush, you could of heard a, a um, an anvil fall. You couldn't hear, you know, you, you, there's no sound. Like It's just a pin drop because even in the dust, you heard nothing because and it was just a great talk. And, <clears throat> and uh, so that started me on it. And uh, later I gave that song to him. I said, my brother wrote the song going through my home and he took it. And he called me back on the phone. And I you know, I play a classic guitar. I play with Todd Woodbury. Uh, 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 we actually played a classical song, a classical arrangement for Todd works. Uh, he's the he's a guitar professor, teacher at the U. And um, he was my teacher for years, and, and we played it together. And um, it, it was really special. when It was going to be on the album, but it got kicked off the album mm. <laughs> because there was a couple of reasons. But uh, um, there, anyway, the album had too many songs on it, too many artists, and so I do not want to double, double the song up. So I gave it to him. I gave him the words, and he... Uh, called me and he says I've given this to President Hinckley because I'm dedicating it as a song of the Second Rescue. He said this song's about us, and and uh, I'm dedicating it. So it became this really really special song for the Handcart Pioneers, and then it also became this Olympic song. And uh, just one more thing about the song, and I'll, I'll go on with the story. But um, the Native Americans picked it up. Uh, and the story goes that, a, that one of the head, one head uh, chiefs of the nation uh, found it at a, at a garage sale. He played and he loved it so much, he went on a journey to find out where it came from. And he uh, found out and he brought Jenny Jordan Fogley down to sing it for the convention. And I was trying to substantiate this uh, story because I was writing a book about it too, um, about both the song and the bullet company in my search for my ancestors and trying to understand who I was. And um, I was trying to substantiate that. I couldn't do it. So I called the Shoshone Nation, by the way. And, I called, and we got a PR guy on there. And I asked him, I says, I understand you've been using this song. He says, yeah, you want a copy of it? It's really cool, you know. <laughs> and I told him who I who I was. And he goes, uh, am I in trouble? I says, heck no. You just keep doing it, you know. The song's it meant for the world. And so um, later, Cedar Breaks, you know, in, in our second album, I just decided we needed to bring that song back out too. And it goes further than that. I uh, it's it's been voted uh, awarded best gospel song by uh, evangelical uh, festivals and music festivals and film festivals back east, and uh, it's probably got a lot more traction outside of Utah than in Utah, which is funny, but, um, that's the reason we did that. And, and, and Greg just revived, revived it on a new album, too, so his version of it uh, with the Grimm. So that's kind, of, that's kind of where we went. That's kind of got me started.
1: So something that's sort of curious to me about that, because you mentioned it a couple times, what do you think it is about uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that sort of, uh, it, it seems like Christian music would be far more popular? Uh, you know, we're Christian people. But, you, but but, uh, we sort of have our own brand and we don't really, what, expand ourselves out uh, as far as Christian music goes? Or we go, listen, if I know this person's a member of the church, I'll listen to them. But we we maybe not as much, or maybe this is just my perception. We don't expand out to the volumes and volumes and hours and hours of really great Christian music that exists.
0: Okay. So, yeah, I've noticed that if you want to hear it, but uh, I had the opportunity to go play. We were nominated by the um, the International Christian uh, Film and Music Festival out of Orlando. It's the biggest one in the United States. We were nominated for Best uh, Religious Band, Best Religious Artist. And one of the reasons was this song, but also other songs we've done. And um, I went back there, to. I had to play at that, and... I watched, I watched the way they did music, and and, and um, I know what's different about it. And let me tell you, there's more talent. There's more talented people in Utah, than I think, anywhere else in the world. I mean, we are just reaming with talent, you know, both musical and vocal and everything else. But the difference is, we we sing in Sacramento. You know, we sing. And we melt back into the populace and we don't stand out. If you watch, I'm not saying this is a negative because I love their music. You know, I love Christian music.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They stand on a stage with microphones and they're out there. Hmm. And in, I think in our community, it's not about us. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I hope, I hope I'm hope i not being disrespectful for them because I'm not trying to be. I Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you, you the story about that. Maybe we'll come back to where Cedar Break started and stuff like that. When they nomina, nominated us for, and this was only a couple of years ago, for best band, I, my our band doesn't travel because we have little kids. In fact, the, the the younger group almost left the group when I said we had to go out and start playing and traveling. Uh, they just wouldn't do it, so we had to find a way to get us out there. And it was through music videos and entering these film festivals, and we've been um, really, really blessed. We won. Um, over seventy awards. Wow! And in fact, in uh, and again, I'm not hopefully not sounding boasting, but the uh, International Family Festival at Raleigh, Raleigh Studios in Hollywood, we won three years in a row. Wow. And because the message, the message of the gospel is so strong, and people are looking and searching for it so much. In fact, the last the last time we won it was. Um, T.C. Christensen had one of his films. We were both from Utah, wanted it. And I called him on the phone because I thought it was camaraderie time. You know, and he's really kind to me and everything. But I was I was so excited that both of us had been introduced there, and they they also um, they also chose us as that was 2016, I think. They chose us as best um, of the year, and my banjo player dog had died. and He wrote a song called "My Dog," and they wrote it up in. Uh, film magazine about this song um, about this dog that goes to heaven and dies. And it was uh, it was really, really special to us. You know but but there's a thirst and a hunger for that back there. So anyway I I decided since none of um, my band would go back I decided not to go and then I got thinking about an opportunity, what a what an honor it was to be nominated. And so I decided I better go back. And I started looking for, started talking to my dad about helping me sing because I'm not a singer at all, mm-hmm. and or find a in two weeks find a, a voice coach so I didn't sound like a complete idiot, which I did anyway. But I decided to go back there, and I walked in to the they had a lounge there for when we arrived, and we we're going to have a sound check. It was kind of a, like America's Got Talent thing where they had judges and it was a huge hall in Orlando and scared the living crap out of me just to, <laughs> just to be there. And I walked into the room and there was, I think, 12 nominees in there and and they introduced me and this coming from Salt Lake and, and these people were really so kind to me. And I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if I'd get hit up on, you know your Jesus isn't our Jesus stuff, you know, and it was just the opposite, except one guy, you know, I walked in there, and I walked, this guy walked up to me, he says, so where are you from, and I says, I'm from Utah, and he said some really flippant comment about Mormons that are really bad, and I looked at him, I went, this is before we're supposed to just be LDS, well, I I says, well, I'm Mormon, and man, he got white in the face, he, he started back peddling, and you know, really, really embarrassed, you know, because this is really quite an event and to be like that would, would really embarrassed him. And, uh, so that was it. And, uh, I went to get something to eat a little bit later. I was crossing the parking lot and he was crossing by me and he looked over at me and he says, you know, there are some differences. I go, okay. <laughs> I said, yeah, park bench over there. You and I are going to go have a talk. And we talked for about an hour and, um, and I told him, I says, being a Christian isn't defined by your dogma or your doctrine. It's defined out how you live your life and how you treat your neighbor. And I said, for one group or any group to sit up on some pedestal saying we will decide who's Christian, I said, come on, you know, we're just we're just artists in this. And and uh, by the way, he became a really really good friend. Uh, we don't we don't get along on doctrine, and and I I. I felt with these people like I felt when I was in Tibet or Bali uh, that I, I met people that were so special and so good. And I used to say this in church, if this is my repentance moment, I used to say uh, if it wasn't for the restored gospel, I wouldn't be a Christian hmm. because God hasn't spoke for 2000 years. Come on. What's that? What's that all about? You know, and, and I actually said that on, on the pulpit, you know, and, Since then I've changed my mind and I've repented of that. And um, I saw such good Christian people back there and they were so special and nice to me. I learned that the purpose of life is to find those living the gospel and join yourself. And I think we're so blessed to have so much that we have. And and I told my friend, uh, my musical friend that was in the competition with me, I told him. I, I said, "I know you're a Christian," and I feel I feel that back here, and and so so that repentance has been really, really, really important to me. I
1: if I if I had it to say honestly,
0: and, and don't please uh, if you, this is wrong, delete this part <laughs> of it. But I kind of think they're fourth century Christians. They're stuck in creeds. Hmm. Really, really good people that can't progress, and I think Mormons are. Uh, progressive Christians. And I think that separates us, but it also joins us. You know, I'm okay that he believes the Bible's in error. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with everything as long as 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 long as he's living the Christian tenets. You know, and I think, and I kind of got the feeling everybody's kind of where they should be almost. And those that look for more, like our purpose, when I went on a mission, my purpose was to gather those people that were looking for it. It yep. wasn't to, wasn't to go ahead and smash anybody's religion? We just don't do that, you know. I'm I'm sure that that's in our day and age. That's actually happening now, and, and, I, and I, I hate to see if it is. But it's time to come together. I think I sent you a, a letter from a group in um, of a program I was in on an interview in Philadelphia,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: where I sent her the book I wrote, you know, about the Willie Company. Uh, why we should care about those that came before. And she uh that's all she wanted to talk about. She was taken back by it. And and we didn't talk about the music. We had to have another, I had to have another meeting where I sent Rebecca to talk about the music and she did a really good job. But uh, she just talked about the book and I was afraid that she was gonna get fired. You know? I I just felt like that maybe I've I've damaged her somehow because because she's so excited about me and about Mormonism and, and the book and stuff, and and I wrote her a letter, and and they wrote back with the same thoughts that we need to be tolerant of each other, and we need to band together as Christians, especially more than it's ever been in our country, and to take care of each other. Yeah. Um, I I mentioned to you I went to Tibet, and. I know I'm just going all over the place here, but
1: you're fine. We're going to play more music here in a minute, so everybody hang okay. tight for that. But you went to Tibet. I'm following. I'm here
0: with you. Yeah, yeah. And I went into the Dalai Lama's palace, and I went into their temple, and I walked in and I and I saw the disrespect that was happening. People walking in where they couldn't even look at the Dalai Lama before. You know, I'm walking up right with these old scrolls are now rotting and everything's dusty, and I saw. I saw uh, soldiers marching down the streets and they didn't have guns, they had fire extinguishers on the back and I couldn't figure it out. And they had, In the middle of their square, they had a big uh, fire cannon, a water cannon. If I asked somebody, I said, I said, what's going on here? You know, why why are these soldiers carrying fire extinguishers? And They said, you know, Tibetans are the kind of people that won't hurt anybody or anything. You know, they're, they're very spiritual, very good people. and." And he said, the only way they can protest is the priests burn themselves.
2: Hmm.
0: And that's why they could. And I just felt sad. And then I suddenly realized what I had done. I had I had defamed their sacred places. Because I was a tourist, and I thought, oh, I'm walking through seeing all this really cool stuff. But in reality, I shouldn't have been in there.
2: Hmm.
0: I shouldn't have been doing that. And I should have been respecting them, or I should have said I won't do that. Because... To them, that this means so much, even though it's being uh, ravaged by the some people that don't believe in religion. You know, and I felt really, really, really bad about that. But uh, um, I, I just have a, re- I have just have a, re- I have a respect, and, and I'll tell you, Mormon culture is the best. We become a people by what we've gone through, and our past is so colorful. It's so good. And there's so many mistakes and just people trying to get through it. I just, I just embrace it. Like it was with my grandma. When I was going to hug her. I, I embrace it. And I, I learned that, that the first thing the fathers told the kids when they came through, You find this in Hilo moments, I think chapter or something. First thing they said is, this is where we came from. This is what took it, it took to get us here. And this is why we should uphold our standards. And and then all of a sudden, I realized that's what Jesus did about his father and where we came from. Yeah, and and, uh, and that kind of thinking about about I, since I was a little kid, all I heard was the Constitution was inspired. Brigham, all he wanted to do was become a state, and realizing that, and that and it wasn't. They didn't get mad because there was an extermination order. They're probably mad about that. They didn't uh, put the Put the government down their constitution they embraced it because they knew it was inspired and and they were just thankful for where they were people don't complain they're in the gospel they they see god's hand and all in fact it says in the scriptures all the time that god's kind of tied is when when somebody doesn't acknowledge his hand in all things you know yeah. and i think they did that and that's what i found when i searched my ancestors and about the handcart pioneers
1: Mike, let's uh, right. let's take, take yeah, let's take a another break. Uh, and when we come back, I want to sample a little bit of dream uh, for people to be able to hear, uh, and then uh, we'll ask you. There's a couple questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We'll kind of wrap this thing up. Uh, we'll do that coming back in the third block of the cultural hall. <laughs> affordable design let it be lennon design call
0: 8016993022 or visit lennondesign.com i look to
2: see silent prayer hoping the morning sun would shine upon a smile I'd come to know to hold inside as I go toward the tree
1: Here in the third block of the cultural hall, so that, which we just sampled, is called Dream. It's uh, with the band Cedar Breaks, whom we're visiting with Mike Erickson, one member, the classical guitarist from the band Cedar Breaks. Uh, I want to know about the song, and then I also want to make the—actually, we'll go into reverse order. Cedar Breaks, I'm assuming, is based on the name— Cedar Breaks, which in southern Utah, there's a beautiful, glorious place called Cedar Breaks that is like no other place in the world. Is that where the band gets its name from?
0: That is exactly it. Actually, I, I will tell you a little story, though. I started trying to get the name Utah, and I wanted to spell it E-U-T-A-W, <laughs> which, which is one of the old spellings. But somebody, some band somewhere on Utah Street back east did record a couple of songs, so I couldn't get it but when i saw cedar breaks i saw eternity there and it just like it appeared before me because what you have is you have this break in the cedars and you can see a million years in the past looking down at the different layers of rock if you look up you see the you see time and era of time going forward and it just seemed like it was a moment of time for us there and so we kind of went with that and uh, the song Dream, obviously dreams are important to me. That's actually one of them. But um, um, I got crazy into Lehi's dream. I'm I mean, just absolutely crazy into it. And um, I studied it. I actually wrote a paper. I'll send you on it. I just I, l- I wrote down every verse. I I got infatuated that it says that you've got to grab a hold of the iron the end of it. Not the middle. It's like, okay, I'm going down through life, and I'll let go, and I'll just grab it again. Right where I left off, it doesn't work that way. As you're trying to work through th- things that bother you about the church or about somebody else or somebody said something, whatever it is, if you hang on to that, I think you can get through it. If you don't, you know, all, all the rest of High's dream. And so I, um, I I presented it to the band, and I said, they're going to write a song about this, and they, they go like, well, is it going to be like 500 verses or something? And I said, <laughs> I said, well, I know it's really tough. So, in fact, we left one out to start with. And I got, and I went into Michael and I said, we got to put it back in. And the very end, it was the last song we did on the new album, Air. And, and uh, uh, it was a part about when Lehi looked back to see if his family was there. I looked to see if you were there. I voiced inside a silent prayer. Open the morning sun would shine upon us, smile I come to know whole inside as I go along the path the, toward the tree of life. And and so that that had to be in there in my mind. So we did it. And I I I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a little different, but I decided to find a a picture to go along with it. You know, a photo. I went on the internet, so many people have drawn lehi's Dream, it's like all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I went in the archives and I found it. I was kind of old and cruckly. And I said to the church, I said, Can I use this? I want to use this on a song. You guys dream, and they said, No, it belongs to reorganized church to the community of Christ. And I said, Okay, I'll ask them. So I called them on the phone girl named Rachel, and she was the assistant to the apostles. And and she says, Well, we won't do it because we I sent her the song. And they went crazy over it, And and uh Apostle McCabe is his name he used to be a photographer in his outside the church life. and he went down to their temple and he took a picture of that that uh, painting for me, full color HD and sent it to me he liked it so much. So I sent him uh, upon Destiny, saw my book and I sent him all the CDs. They're like best buddies to me and we have a really good relationship with each other and and uh, I was able I was able to use that. so I thought, okay, I'm going to put this into uh, five Christian festivals. So I put it in the Toronto, which is a pretty big one in uh, Washington DC, Virginia, Orlando again, and LDS That one, four of them. Wow. As best song, best music video and all that kind of stuff. Guess which one I did in the by the way. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> How, how so, funny.
0: Is that ironic or yeah. what? Well? but I, I, I love that about it. And, um, and it, it just became, became something that's really a cap for the album and something that's important to the band. And, and um, so uh, that's where Lehigh's Dream came from.
1: Mike, uh, there are three questions that we ask everyone that steps into the cultural hall, and I'll ask those of you at this point. Uh, the first question is, Is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it?
0: Okay, you broke up when you were saying that question. It's
1: I say... Up. Uh, okay, so there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps in the culture hall. The first question I will ask you is: If uh, do you have a calling, and if so, what is it?
0: Uh, my calling in life, or calling in the church, whichever way you want to I answer want that question. In the church, right now, that's all I am. You know, I hope I'm not out of the pasture, but I might be. You never know. Uh, we have a mission statement in the band, and I didn't talk a lot about how the band came, but it was one at a time when we got together and. I will tell you, these kids, I'll leave my banjo player and me out of it for a minute because these main singers, they are so unbelievably special together. They have a sound. People can't categorize this as one. You sound like so-and-so. We think we have our own sound. But this is our mission statement.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, And it goes like this. It says, do not trust your good intentions, for they are never enough. Trust your willingness to act even in the face of challenges. Consider those that have came before and know the you that is now for today we change the world leave behind a gift to those dearest to our hearts. And, um, we, we do music around faith, faith, family, and heritage. And that's, we are.
1: Yeah. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Um,
0: the, it would be father and priesthood holder in my family. That would be it, and uh, um, I think that's so important. I think families are so important, and it's not a it's not a coincidence that that's what the church is centered on, because it's the only hope we have. It's the only hope.
1: the The final question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall: we ask you to interpret however you may, but the question remains: What is your favorite part of your faith?
0: Um, my favorite part is knowing of uh, my faith is knowing that um, I have those around me that are part of what I believe and will, any door I knock on will open. Any door. And uh, including my door to them. And, and like I said, the, the purpose of life is to find those living the gospel and join yourself with them and be a part of that. And And there's only two commandments. There's only two. And we, a lot of times, take the the word church. I put the word church up on the wall and I stared at it for a long time, understanding what it was. And it's not what people think it is. It's a group of people getting through life together, um, engulfed in the gospel. I mean, it's engulfed in Jesus's life and what he taught us. I mean, it's just really, really simple. Everybody makes it too hard Mm -hmm. and they find reasons to fight against it. I've never found any reason to, you know, I just, and I've had really, if I hope you'll, I hope you'll read a Pondessi song. Sometimes you want to hear the whole, the whole story. And it, um, um, I was going through some really hard times when that book came out and, and the story and it's really, really hard, but what got me through it was the knowledge of what my ancestors took to get me here. I'll leave you with one little story. My, my nephew said, as we were talking about our heritage, he said, he said, uh, I was down in, he was in Brazil, his mission. He said, my companion, I don't know what country he was from. He said, said to me, why is it that I was born in poverty without the gospel and without freedom? And you were born in the United States with those three things. And I didn't have those. And and Jeff, my uh, nephew, said, I didn't know what to say to him. I said, Jeff. because somebody made a sacrifice. Sacrifices go down through four to five generations. If you do something really stupid, it's going to screw your family up for four to five generations. It could do that. I mean, let's say it would. And I think people get screwed up mainly for two things in this country. And and I think the country has two issues. Number one, we take for granted what we have. I do that. And the other thing is is, um, we feel guilty about what we have. But we have what we have because sacrifices were made for us. And I said to Jeff, I said, that missionary is the one making the sacrifice hmm. for his family. And I said, I said he's going to bless generations of, of people down the way. And, and so I said to Jeff, I said, are you the one receiving the gospel? Are you the one giving it? Or are you the one that um, uh, takes the gospel out there? I said, which one are you? And he says, which one am I? I said, you should be all three. Mm-hmm. All three, you're doing it. You know, you're on the trail. You're on the path. So, uh, I'm doing. A, I'm doing a song right now, 121. Not, <laughs> it's the most ominous thing I've ever uh, tackled. But I keep... um, so I love the gospel. I love the themes. I love stealing lines out of it. You know, <laughs> some of the scriptures, like you'll find that in, in Dream, and, and you'll find it. It's going to be called uh, Life or. We have another word called, another name called Ria Soul. so I don't know which one we're going to pick on it, but uh, we're just back in the, um, continuing to do what we do.
1: The band is called Cedar Breaks. Uh, You can find a link to all of their music in the show notes that's associated with this episode, so you can be able to not only check out the music videos of the songs that we shared, but all of the music that they have and be able to purchase those albums, if that's what it's like, what you'd like, or the individual songs themselves. Uh, Mike Erickson has been my guest. Uh, Mike, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick mcgee debbie Wanless, and chocolate cake bites podcast we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the cultural hall
2: save me a seat it's sure to be neat on the back row we really gotta go on the cultural hall show